Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Well, good morning, church family. I hope that you're doing well. My name is Devin. I'm the lead pastor here at Brian. Uh, and it's great to be with you. You know, I was reading this week in an online forum, and the question was posed, if you could pause time, what would you do? If you could stop time, what would you do? Some people, some people need Jesus, I'll tell you that much. They evidence their total depravity. Some people wanted to know the specifics, right? Like those important questions like, well, would food spoil? Would I age? Would a combustion engine actually work if time stood still? They had, you know, practical, pragmatic questions like that. But the overwhelming majority of people that responded isolated one common theme, one activity that they would do if they could stop time. And it was this. They would sleep. They would rest. They would take a series of leisurely naps. You get it, don't you? I mean, we live in a world that is frantic. And we're always looking ahead thinking, okay, maybe this season, maybe once we finish this, when the kids are done with this activity, maybe when work slows down here, there is this franticness that invades kind of Western society and it can be exhausting. Despite all of our helps, technological, beeping, notification-driven type technologies, Despite, you know, automation and delegation and outsourcing, it just seems like there's so much to be done. We're always behind. We're always pushing forward. And it can seem utterly exhausting. You see, what we long for, what you long for, is Sabbath. More than just a nap to catch up. What we long for is a, an opportunity to simply be, to be present, to be still, to be with those that fill us up, to feel full and whole and complete. Well, today I want to look at Mark chapter 2 where Jesus is going to teach us something important about rest. Not merely rest from the physical, but rest in a spiritual sense as well. That he is the only one who can give you what it is that your soul desires. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 2. We are concluding the second chapter of Mark. We are flying through this. (laughs) I'm proud of our progress, corporately and collectively. Now, we're finishing the chapter, so if you're able to stand, I want to invite you to do so. 
Uh, we're going to stand as we read God's word. I'm going to read Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 27. And church, this is the word of God. One Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, their disciple, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. You can be seated. You know, so much of Jesus' ministries in the Gospels takes place on or during a Sabbath day. And you'll see that this is a significant source of conflict in the life and the ministry of Jesus. He heals on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are angry. He teaches with authority and he, he forgives sins and people are, they're mad. This, this idea of a Sabbath in Israel during this day and age was taken with utmost seriousness. Each week, one day, set aside. This one day was Saturday. The Sabbath was Saturday and the Sabbath would run from Friday evening, actually, until Saturday evening. That's how they counted their, their days. And we see that this central, significant kind of anchor of a day in the week actually originates in the first two chapters of the Bible. Because in Genesis chapter one and two, we read about God creating the world in six days and then God resting on the seventh day. Now, maybe you're here and you've always kind of wondered, Maybe you're here and you are new to this and this idea or this concept of God resting seems kind of a little bit embarrassing. Why does God rest on the seventh day? Was he, was he tired? There's a lot of work to create all physical matter in the galaxies. That's a lot, I'll grant that. So what does he do? Does he get tuckered out? He's just wiped and he takes a long divine nap. Why does God take a nap on the, why does he take a Sabbath on the, the seventh day? Why does he rest from his work? There's two primary reasons. The first reason that God takes the seventh day and rests is to set an example for humanity that follows. That he knows that we have this illusion at times, that we are ultimate, that we are endless, that we can do it all. And God says, no, I want to show you a pattern of life that doesn't just drain you, but fills you up. You're going to work hard, that is life, but you're also going to have the ability to rest, follow my example, 
That's the first reason. The second reason is this. There is a sense in Genesis where you see God's joy and delight in what he has created. And as a teaching illustration for us, as an example for us, he pauses, he stops his work to enjoy what he has created. He looks at what he has made and he says, it's good. He takes joy in what it is that he creates. And this practice of the Sabbath, of working six days and having a a day of rest, of worship, of setting it aside, of, of stopping the effort and the toil and the struggle continues on throughout the Old Testament. It makes it to the Big Ten, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, God says to Israel, honor, the holy, honor this day, make it holy. Don't work. It was true of the people. It was true of the servants. It was true of the livestock. And then when you read throughout the rest of the Old Testament and you get into the prophets, these individuals that were raised up by God to rebuke the nation because they were going astray, one of the common themes, one of the common bones and, and, and issues that God was picking at Israel for and, and rebuking her through the prophets was their abandonment of the Sabbath. And why was it such a big deal? Why did God get so frustrated with Israel when she dishonored the Sabbath? One of the reasons, I mean, apart from God had commanded it, so you better do it. One of the reasons is that it betrayed a heart that refused to acknowledge their utter dependence on God. Imagine being in Israel and you're thinking, man, I got all this work to do as a nation. We've got all these kind of societal problems. How are we gonna fix it? I tell you how we're gonna fix it. We're just gonna work harder. We're just gonna do more. God said, take a day of rest, but we just can't afford a day of rest right now. We have all these things that we need to do. What they should have done in all of that was trust God. To say, you know what? We have a big to-do list. The harvest is just about ripe. But what matters most is not our efforts, it's the faithfulness of God. And instead of trusting God and having the freedom to simply rest, there was this underlying compulsion to simply work harder, displaying a lack of faith. The Sabbath was a significant day in Israel in the Old Testament, it plays a significant role in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And even today, if you go to Israel, you see that something changes on the Sabbath. I'm gonna put up an image that I took. A few years ago, I had the opportunity. This is in Israel. Uh, This is what's called the Old City. And this was a picture that I took on Sabbath. And you'll see, and you notice, if you're there and visiting, the streets are virtually deserted. And even if there are people, they're walking, you know, with a sense of purpose, but not in a mad dash rush. There's less franticness. Now, let me say something. I've had so many people say, you, you know, I've overheard people say, you need to go to Israel to somebody because it really makes the Bible come alive. And I die a little bit every time I hear that. You don't need to go to Israel to have the Bible come alive. The word of God is alive and active. Okay. 
So you don't need that. If you have the opportunity, praise God, go for it. There is one kind of consistent, interesting cultural note that I always have in mind now. Anytime I read the Gospels, I always remember this from my trip. And I always think, hmm, Jesus is doing this and Jesus is doing that. You know what I think in the back of my mind from my experiences in Israel? It was probably so hot. Because I went on a budget, and so we went in August. And I remember we went to Jericho, and it felt like you were in a pizza oven. (laughs) The slightest wind would burn your lips, burn your eyelids, and you would sit there, and you just, your life force was being drained out of you. It was incredibly hot. So anytime I'm reading the Gospels, I'm like, wow, Jesus, that's amazing. And he did all of that when it was, you know, 115 degrees. Wow, that's just something else. But even today, the Sabbath, things slow down. We had the opportunity to go and meet with some individuals, have dinner, a Sabbath dinner at their house. And it was interesting as we talked to see all of the little workarounds that they had to the Sabbath prohibitions. They would have um, their lights on timers. I can't remember all of the uh, regulations, but there was some kind of mix and match where you couldn't use like a convection oven, but you could use a microwave or you could kick, cook off of a single burner, but not. So they had all of these regulations. They would have to prepare their food ahead of time, but it was an interesting cultural piece of my time there. Here we see Jesus on the Sabbath walking through the grain fields, and the Pharisees are watching. The Pharisees, as we've talked about, were the religious leaders of the day. And they esteemed, so they said, God's word, but they loved to add to it. And there were so many prohibitions that went beyond Scripture that they introduced to the people, burdens that they placed on people's shoulders. One of them, one rabbi taught that you could walk 1,999 steps on the Sabbath, that was acceptable. But 2,000, don't even think about it. 2,000 would be sinful. 1,999, that would be okay. All of these arbitrary rules and regulations. So they come and they see Jesus and his disciples. His disciples are picking the heads of the grain. They're just eating, they're hungry, and they accuse them of doing what is unlawful what is wrong, what is against God's law. And I love Jesus' response. He says to them, have you not read what David did? And for us today, it can be easy to miss the bite of what Jesus is saying here. Who were the Pharisees? They were the guardians of truth. They were the religious authority. They were the experts in the law. And Jesus is rebuked by them. And he looks at them and he says, "Uh, do you guys even read your Bibles? Imagine that. None of you would dare say such a thing to me. That would be so insulting, so hurtful. I would, no, that's exactly what they're doing. Jesus goes for the jugular here and says to these arbiters of truth, have you even read your Bibles? Do you not know what David did? And you can read about this account of David in 1 Samuel 21. This account, David, he's anointed to be king. He's going to be the king of Israel. God has chosen him, but his time hasn't yet come. And so Paul, Saul, 
An evil king is after him to kill him. David is on the run. David and his men are fleeing and they are famished. They are hungry. So David goes to the tabernacle, the precursor to the permanent temple that would be built. And David enters in and he eats this consecrated and significantly, a significant bread. Jesus says, do you not even read your Bibles? Don't you remember? And he puts them in a bind. You see, because the Pharisees had esteem for David. And David's kingdom in their mind was kind of like the, David was the pinnacle king, Israel's greatest king in the Old Testament. And so there was this link in their mind, this connection between if David's kingdom was this great, then the Messiah's kingdom someday will be even greater. And what Jesus is saying here is this man that you revere, you recognize that he had the authority to eat that bread. And someone greater than David is here. He explains, you've missed the heart of all of this. The purpose of the Sabbath is not to have men conform to it. The purpose of the Sabbath is to be a blessing. And Jesus goes further and explains, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. All three synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mention this encounter. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And what he is saying here, evidently and clearly to the Pharisees, is who started Sabbath? Who invented it? Who created it? Who gave it to people? Well, God did in Genesis chapter one and two. And Jesus is saying, evidently and clearly, that's me. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I am greater than King David. I'm the Lord. You see, Jesus here is running into a common problem, one that we still wrestle with today. Because this legalistic religion had taken over. I want you to think about this. Legalistic religion always seeks to turn a blessing from God into a burden. Legalistic religion always seeks to turn a blessing from God into a burden. God gave them this day as a gift. And historically, this would have been mind-blowing for the nations around Israel in the time. That God has recognized that humanity, that we are not simply machines and tools to be used up and then discarded, but that you have purpose and value, that you're not infinite, that you need and deserve rest. Imagine going to the Pharaoh as he has his hordes of slaves working on the pyramids, and saying to him, listen, listen, you've been working these guys really hard. They deserve a day off. They wouldn't even conceptually have, have a mind for this. 
Yet God looks at Israel and says, I wanna give you this blessing, this recognition that you're not infinite, that you're not a tool to be used and discarded, to be spent up and used up and abused. No, you work hard. Work hard, Israel. But rest in me. Jesus has the authority to contradict their teaching, their traditions, and their interpretation. And we see this same theme of legalistic religion turning a blessing into a burden. We see that all the time. You know, I grew up in incredibly conservative kind of legalistic traditions. And, a tradition. and although it was orthodox, like it taught that Jesus was, you know, divine, that he was fully God and fully man. They had, they had right theology, but in essence, what was communicated out was that your entire standing before God is based upon your performance, and even in a bunch of areas that I didn't even know were that big of a deal, where they were adding to God's word. So one of them that I'm still really concerned about, I have a hard time breaking free from, is men having long hair. I was told growing up, <laughs> I was told growing up that men who had long hair were just like the devil, right? So, I mean, you think that this is of necessity? No, I have beautiful Fabio-like hair that I could grow out and be the envy of everybody, but I choose not to because I'm a recovering Pharisee. And when my luscious locks get to about here, I feel a temptation to let it grow. So I'm not even gonna do that. I'm gonna draw a hard line no, God gave them this gift, but they added all these rules and regulations to it. And some of you have grown up in circles and environments where subtly you have been told that your entire standing with God is based on how good you're keeping the rules. And it weasels in, and my goodness, it is hard to root out. Oftentimes, we can have a, a have-to mindset instead of a get-to mindset. Oh, I have to read my Bible. I have to pray. I have to love people. I have to serve people and care for people who are really annoying. Great. One more thing I have to do. One more burden to carry. No, man, this is a blessing from God. I get to encounter the living God through his word. I get to pray to my Father in heaven. I get to love people. I get to show the love and the service of Christ to those around me. And I get to do it all because I love him and I want to bring him glory. This is a constant temptation for all of us. This legalistic religion, this, this moralistic performance-driven faith, it is not from God and it doesn't honor him. You see, we live, or scripture is clear that we are not to add to his word nor take away from it. And while I would submit to you that we live in a society where we feel a pressure to take away from God's word, Right where there's certain things that the Bible teaches that are not popular, that will get you canceled. And so there are those who claim the name of Christian are seeking to remove those sharp edges of Christianity. We can't do that. It's his word, not ours. We can't take away from God's word, but we also can't add to it. And just like what Jesus does here, 
He doesn't argue this philosophical argument. He says, don't you understand scripture? So we don't add to scripture. We don't take away from it. We don't add rules and regulations that aren't even in the Bible. Be very cautious about that. We don't take away from it. But we can allow a blessing to turn into a burden. Now, I hadn't originally planned to address this. It just kind of dawned on me this morning, but I want to talk through what the implications are for the Sabbath for us today. Right? Because something's different. We, we don't do this anymore. Let's talk about that. See, the Sabbath is the Saturday, but we worship and gather on the Sunday. Why is that? Well, it's interesting. Historically, the early church that you read about in the, in the book of Acts, that first movement in Jerusalem, it would have been comprised, Christians would have mainly been Jewish. These were people who revered the Sabbath, who honored the Sabbath. This is a central practice in their faith and in their life. And yet, for some reason, very early on, Christians stopped meeting on Saturday and started meeting on Sunday. A fascinating sociological, religious shift. Far more dramatic than we would imagine today. Something changed them. What was it? It's the resurrection of Jesus. His early followers would have revered this day Saturday. And then Jesus is, he is crucified and he raises from the dead on Sunday. So it is called the Lord's day. And every Sunday that we meet is resurrection Sunday. That's why we're meeting here. It's because the early followers of Jesus recognized that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. They recognized that Sunday, Sunday is the day he rose from the dead. That's the day that we're gonna worship. That's the day we're gonna gather together. That's the day that we're gonna celebrate. Does this then mean that on Sundays, on Sundays, you can only walk 2,000 steps? Some of you are just religious, fanatical Fitbit trackers. That's gonna really bother you. Is that what that means? You can't work on Sunday, get a call in later for your shift and say, I can't make it, boss? No. You see, we live in the new covenant. We are not under the law. Paul is explicitly clear on that, okay? We are not under the law. We are in a new covenant. This is a new day and age, and God has given us in the New Testament our commands for living that are explicit and that are clear. So we are not called to, to walk only 1,999 steps on the Sabbath. If you go home and your goat is stuck in a ditch, you can help that goat out if you want. So does that mean that you should just, you know, show up to church on Sunday, go home, doom scroll for seven hours, and stay frantic, stay exhausted, and stay tired? No. Here's what I would encourage you with. Whether it's Sunday or another day, depending on your work schedule and your, your rhythms and routines, the invitation here in the Sabbath is to find rest in him. Find a time, find a season, find a day that you can slow down, that you can do something different 
and do it with the Lord. One of our greatest temptations, our greatest risks as a society is our busyness. And let me just say it, it does not honor God. Hard work honors God. Doing what matters honors God. But being frantic and busy and and exhausted and stressed does not honor God. He calls us to Sabbath in him, to rest in him. So they had turned this burden, this blessing from God into a burden, but Jesus goes even further here and there's a deeper way to approach this beyond just the the physical rest that we desire. You see, only the Lord of the Sabbath can give you rest for your soul. This, This is what you're after whether you recognize it or not, whether you would say, hey, I don't even believe this stuff. I'm an atheist, I'm agnostic. Wherever you are at, in one way or another, this is what you're after. The Lord of the Sabbath is the only one who can give rest to your soul. You see, there were those in this period of time that believed that if Israel could If Israel could perfectly obey the Sabbath rules and keep the Sabbath for even two Sabbaths, two weeks, then the Messiah would come. If they could only do enough work and work well enough, then God would come. But what we see in the pages of scripture and in God's incredible redemptive plan is the crystal clear realization that we could never do it. So God did it for us. And here comes the Lord of the Sabbath. You see, What we couldn't do, Jesus did for us. This is why we can find rest in him. You see, we all look to something. Something to provide us with a sense of purpose, of identity, something that we long for, something. You have something in your life that is consuming you and driving you. This idea of a future in which you will find peace and rest. Maybe for you it's work. But if you put your ultimate hope in work, how are you ever going to find rest? There's always more you could be doing. There's another promotion. Maybe you could move to another company and climb further up the ladder. There's always some young upstart nipping at your heels. There's changes that are coming that you're gonna have to adapt to and you're gonna have to push yourself harder and harder and work longer and longer hours. If you put your ultimate hope for rest, for arriving someday in your work, you will never find rest because it will never be enough. 
If you try to prove yourself or, or find your identity, find your sense of fulfillment and rest in your prestige or your influence, how do you know when you ever have enough? Hmm? How many likes is enough on social media for you to feel a sense of rest, of wholeness, of peace? If you put your ultimate hope, if you seek rest through other people's opinions about you, you will never find rest. It will just crush you. If you put your ultimate hope in your identity and power or the respect and authority that you have, it's never going to be enough. Because there's always somebody who has more. There's always somebody who, who has a greater platform, who has more influence and power and authority than you do. So you can never have enough, which means you can never rest. What if it's your health? You put your ultimate identity in your health, getting that six pack, getting into those skinny jeans, whatever your thing is, it's never enough. You can never rest. All you're gonna do is work yourself to the bone. And here's the reality. You know it's not gonna satisfy because you haven't been satisfied yet. So you work and you work and you work and you think if I can just get over that hump, if I can just accomplish that next thing, then my life is gonna be... My life will be peaceful. I'll find that internal rest that I long for. But every hill you've climbed to this point hasn't given it to you, has it? Because it's never enough. If you think that you can work hard enough to somehow impress God or others with your accomplishments, your work, your prestige, your power, or your health, you will never find rest. So instead of the struggle, instead of the grind, instead of working yourself into the dust, instead of desperately trying to manufacture it all on your own, come to the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who gives rest to your soul. Imagine the rest that you would feel knowing that you are perfectly loved, that you are forgiven, that you are a new creation, that you are seen, that you are valued, that no matter what happens in life, no, no matter what happens with your work, with your influence, with your health, no matter what happens, you have a relationship with the God who made you and an eternal home waiting for you. Imagine the rest that you would feel if you would just rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. This is what Christ offers you. You can rest 
Rest from all your work because of the finished work of Christ. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one and the only one who can give rest to your soul. So maybe you've been running for a while now, grinding it out in life, thinking if I can only get over that next hill, then I'll find that internal rest and peace in my soul. Listen to me. You don't need that. Because the Lord of the Sabbath offers you something better. That you don't have to trust in your own work. You can trust instead in the finished work of Jesus Christ. How he went to the cross on your behalf. That he died there as a common criminal. He was placed in the grave. And three days later, he rose from the dead. He's already worked it all out for you. He's already accomplished it all. All you need to do is rest in him. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian. And you would say, Devin, like, I, I trust in Jesus and I, I get that he's my ultimate rest. I'm not trusting in my own works. And I recognize that it can seem like it's quite the exhausting journey, isn't it? Because you're not the Christian you want to be. I'm not the Christian I want to be. And you think, God, like, how long am I going to struggle with this sin? How long am I going to struggle with these, these emotions and this complicated relationship and this health struggle? It just seems so tiring and so exhausting. And I don't know how much longer I can go. It, if you're here and you're a tired out Christian, let me ask you something. When is the last time that you simply reveled, stood amazed in, worshipped because of, took joy in, celebrated that Jesus Christ has already done it all. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That you simply rested in the finished work of Jesus. I mean, yeah, you want to persevere and you want to work hard and God by his spirit will sustain you in that. You are not alone. He will give you the strength to persevere. But you'll only persevere if you are first able to rest in joy and amazement that Jesus Christ has already done it all. Wherever you're at today, whether you would be here and you're a tired out Christian or you're trying to find your identity and your ultimate sense of rest and all of your accomplishments, I can guarantee you this. The Lord of the Sabbath has a better way. Only he can provide rest for your soul. So find your rest in him. Let me pray. Jesus, life is frantic. It is tiring. It's busy. And we all feel this sense like it probably shouldn't be this way. 
Many of us are physically tired. May we learn to Sabbath well in you. But Lord, many of us are spiritually tired. For those who are here who are trusting in their own accomplishments, I pray that you will give them ears to hear that if they will but turn to you in faith, you will save them and give rest to their soul. Father, for the tired Christians that are here, give them a sense of your presence with them, that they would persevere, keep at it day by day, not in their own strength and from their own work, but in the strength given to us by the Spirit of God as they rest in you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you have accomplished all that we couldn't. I thank you, Jesus, that you grant rest to weary souls because you are the Lord of the Sabbath. And in your name, we ask this, I pray, amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.